Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to the happy hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am so excited that you're here. We have a great show in store for you. Before I get to the show and everything I want to tell you, I do want to give you a little disclaimer that today's show, we talk a lot about mental health. We also talk about suicide. So if this is a trigger for you, or you have young ears in the car, or you just think this is not the best time for you to be listening, just wanted to give you that warning. But I do also want to say this is a powerful episode today. It is a much needed conversation. Uh, Sean Johnson, who's lead pastor of Red Rocks Church in Denver, Colorado, he released the book and In fact, it just came out yesterday. It's called Attacking Anxiety, From Panicked and Depressed to Alive and Free. And this conversation, first, let me say it's much needed. Second, let me say, Sean comes at this conversation from a very personal place, a place of at desperation. He really had to believe and walk through the things that we're talking about today. And so this is a conversation for all of us. If you are struggling with anxiety or depression and especially suicidal ideation, this might be a healing point for you to hear this conversation, to hear this encouragement, maybe pick up his book and read the way that his journey has taken him. He says in here at one time, he says, you're not fighting anxiety, you're fighting Satan. This conversation is much needed. On the flip side, he says in here, he says, most of us know someone who is walking through anxiety, depression, panic attacks. And this conversation is so helpful for those of us that are walking alongside our friends and loved ones who are on this journey. I can't recommend this show enough. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you. This is an important conversation. It's a needed conversation. And don't forget, Sean's book just came out yesterday. It's called Attacking Anxiety from Panicked and Depressed to Alive and Free. You guys, I also want to ask you a favor. If you are a regular Happy Hour listener, or maybe this is your first time, if you are loving the show and the content that we're bringing and the conversations that we're having, we would love it if wherever you listen, you would leave us a rating and a review. Now, again, these are not just so we can feel good about ourselves. These are actually ways to help other people find the show. And I'm going to be honest with you. We believe we're making really good shows around here because we believe that we're having conversations that matter. We believe that we're having conversations that change lives. We believe that we're having conversations that continue point people to the hope and the truth and the peace and the love and the joy that God has to offer us. And so we love what we do. And if you love it as well, we would love for you to leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, y'all, here is my conversation with Sean Johnson. Sean, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's fun to have you on. And, you know, a lot of people wonder when I bring people on the show, like, have you met them before? Like, what does that look like? And we literally met two and a half minutes ago when we yes. logged on Zoom. I feel like we go way back now, Jamie. <laughs> we, the thing is, in this little world that you and I both live in, we probably have a million mutual friends, which is also yep. so fun because if we were here long enough, we would find out that we're actually related. Maybe I don't know, something like yes, that. So 100 percent. 100%. Well, introduce yourself to my listeners. So my name is Sean Johnson. I'm the lead pastor of Red Rocks Church. And well, actually just yesterday, released a book called Attacking Anxiety. And so super excited. Okay. Red Rocks Church, Denver? Yes. Is this where they have the concerts, the Red Rocks concert things? So funny. So we started the church, and I can't believe I'm saying this, 17 years ago. 
you basically have, you're about to send a kid off to college is basically what's going on with your church. hundred percent. Like we just had our 17th birthday and that's what I told our church. I'm like, I know it seems like we've been here a minute. We're teenagers guys. Yep. We got yep. a lot of room to grow. We started in the back corner of this like nearly abandoned theme park because it was the cheapest place we could find in the whole Denver metro area. But it happened to be right around the corner from Red Rocks Amphitheater. Okay. And so it's funny because we used to get messages like, I went to the amphitheater and didn't see you. And I'm like, oh yeah, look for the broke down roller coaster a few blocks away. That's where we're at. That is so funny. Well, the thing is, I've heard about this amphitheater and my husband is a musician. He's a songwriter and a pastor at church. And I'm always thinking, I think that'd be the coolest surprise for him is to score some kind of great tickets there. And so- I'm actually looking out all the time for stuff there. In fact, we just, it's so funny in the summer, they do not only concerts, but movies. And we just took our boys to Top Gun at Red Rocks Amphitheater. So when you're at the amphitheater, you look down at the stage, but then the whole city of Denver is behind it. And so you're hearing, and oh my gosh, my kids are like, why are we here? And I'm like, this is epic. (laughs) How old are your kids? 18, 16, 13, all three boys. We are living the exact same life. I have an 18 year old son. He's born to college next year. I have two 16 year old boys and a 14 year old daughter. And I just showed them Top Gun maybe two years ago. This is like a a failure of a parent. They were not impressed. They thought it was the dumbest thing they'd ever seen. They were like, can we leave? And I'm like, <laughs> did you see what just happened to Goose? No, we can't leave. <laughs> I know. Let me. You got to cry before you can leave this movie theater over Goose. Right. Yes. Right. Well, I yeah. think Marvel has just, you know, they're like, this is a good movie. This is like so old mom. I'm like, I know. That's There's- the thing. Tom Cruise that can't put his hand up and catch an, a sledgehammer. And like, <laughs> I know. Things don't happen fast enough. And, yes, yeah. yes. Well, I will try again with Top Gun with my kids eventually. And one day they'll be showing their kids movies that they think are funny and that oh, their 100%. kids don't 100%. And then they'll remember back and go, I should have been better to my parents. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Sean, I am I'm grateful for this book that you just released yesterday. And it is a conversation that is that we seem to be having a lot. It's about anxiety. And the thing that is so interesting to me. And I would love to get your take on this as well. I feel like when you and I were growing up, anxiety, depression, I never heard anyone talk about this. The only people that talked about this were like, oh, we have that cousin who ended up at that place, you know, in Kansas for a few years and now they're back. And so now we know the statistics tell us about how prevalent anxiety and depression and even death by suicide is amongst all age groups, especially younger kids. Do you have any kind of insight as to what it is that this conversation, why it is so much more prevalent now in 2022 than it was maybe when we were growing up in the nineties? I think it's because some people with some influence in the world have started to admit it, right? Mm. You're starting to hear NFL players talking about it and NBA players and I think forever people have been dying to go, this is what I'm feeling. Mm. I just didn't know it was okay to share it. I have been dealing with this stuff for over 20 years. About four years into our church plant, I started having panic attacks so bad that I went to my doctor like, oh my gosh, can you help me? And I didn't want to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was that same exact, I think it was that day I did my very first magazine interview with someone who was like, hey, I want to talk about how fast the church is growing. And did you ever think you'd be this successful? And I was like, he has no clue. Yeah, I'm dying on the inside. And I just didn't think I could tell anybody. Mm. So even for me, 
I felt like I hid it for almost 10 years from everybody until it got to the point where I couldn't hide it anymore. You know, it's interesting that you said that just the week that we're recording this, there was a woman who died by suicide. I believe it was over the weekend and I did not know who she was, but after seeing some news reports, I went to her Instagram and my daughter and I were having a conversation about this. She's 14. And my daughter said she was looking at pictures of her because her and her friends were talking about school. And they like, and she said, gosh, she's so beautiful. And, you know, we were looking at photos of her and it made me think as an outsider, she's a public figure. I would have never known anything was going on by what she had to live with. And I think that is what you're talking about is when we have to live with this, like, oh, I don't know who I can tell. And I'm not speaking into her life personally, because I have no idea the personal relationship she had. All I'm saying is there is this kind of feeling in society right now of who can I trust with this? And so even you as a pastor, I feel like that's elevated a little bit. I remember uh, about 15 years ago, I have not struggled with this only by the grace of God. My husband does currently, but I had a panic attack. And I remember thinking, are people going to think I can't handle my kids? Like, should I be a mom if I am having a panic attack because of parenting? Yeah. And so I want to start here. I want you to tell us a story about that you started when you were driving on the side of the road. But I want to start here just so we can lay the groundwork for everyone. Yeah. What was it and what is it that made you first tell somebody and that keeps you talking about it? Because I think it's that first step maybe of feeling like, can I do this? Talk about like right now with the book or 10 no, years no. ago? No, no. I mean, 10 years ago. I mean, there's people listening that are like, yeah. I understand what Sean is talking about. I don't feel like I could say this. You know, so what was interesting for me was, it's exactly what you just said. I'm an adult. I should be able to handle this. I'm a parent. Right. I should be able to handle this. I'm a leader. I go to church. For me, I got saved later in life. And it was not only am I a Christian, but I work at a church. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that through Jesus, you can have peace and joy and confidence. Yet I have something going on in here and in here that feels like the opposite of that. Am I a hypocrite? Mm. If I tell my wife how bad it is, will she think less of me? You know, as a husband, I want to be her hero, not her problem. Mm. If I tell my best friends, will they think less of me? If I tell our church, will they even want me to be the pastor anymore? If I tell my boss, well, they want me to work here. I think it's that kind of stuff that gets you like, you almost feel like you have to keep it to yourself. And we're embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how bad your panic attack was, but when I have would have crazy panic attacks, I would have to get out of environments. I would be acting erratic the whole time knowing I can't make it stop. And I'm so embarrassed that this is happening. Mm. And then as soon as it's over, you just feel this like shame and guilt and humiliation. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like, I don't want to have to deal with all those risks. It seems too difficult. I better just hide it. Mm. That's how I felt. You know, you mentioned what I think is so important for people listening as well as you're saying, here I am preaching like Jesus offers joy and peace and love and hope. But yes, I have these conflicting things on the inside. Some people would say, well, where is God in the midst of this? Like, okay, that's awesome, Sean that you can say that from the stage, but now you're telling me you also deal with the same stuff I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. What does Jesus do? What is that for you? You know, that was a serious question in my mind. And in fact, at times I would almost feel fake because Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm telling you, like I can read you five verses that talks about hope and peace, but last night I felt no peace and hopeless. Wow. And I thought I was just stuck with it. And so about two and a half years ago, 
went on to a whole new level. I started having panic attacks that I couldn't control. You alluded to it. I pulled my car over on the side of the road, called my wife, said, babe, I can't even make it home. I don't know what to do. That started a, a long journey of something has to change. And one of the best, I have been in, literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds and hundreds of hours of counseling. At one point, I went to a seven-week inpatient anti-anxiety counseling facility. But one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given was by one of my pastors. And I was sitting in his office and I was crying and I was telling him all my problems and all my anxiety and depression and my past and my stuff. And is interesting, Jamie, what I thought he was going to do was like get up and walk around the table and give me like a fatherly hug, like, buddy, it's going to be okay. And he did the opposite. He looked me right in the eyes and he goes, mm, that's hard. It'll probably get harder. Mm. He goes, it's time that you stop blaming yourself and being mad at yourself and started fighting back. Mm. It's time you started fighting the enemy. You're not fighting anxiety. You're fighting Satan. And there's a real war here, but God has given you spiritual weapons that you can use. It's time to start fighting back. And I didn't know until about a hundred hours into counseling one day in a class learning about anxiety, we really aren't fighting anxiety. It actually is a God-given thing that Satan has twisted. And what I learned is there's facilitating anxiety and then there's debilitating anxiety. Facilitating anxiety is this gift from God, which is be careful around this corner. I live in Denver. There's rattlesnakes near this mountain. So be careful on this height. It's that keep me safe. It's also that before you do a podcast, you get a little bit of jitters and a little butterflies and your body amps up a little bit. And it's like, I want to perform at my best. Like there's a lot of beautiful things with facilitating anxiety that's from God. It's when that starts to go to a level that now I can't live my life normally mm. anymore. I can't walk in my calling anymore. It becomes debilitating. I had to remember that I wasn't fighting anxiety. I was actually in a spiritual battle and it was time to start fighting. Mm. And it was, I looked at my pastor and I said, I'm a pastor. Our church is fairly big. I'm super embarrassed to say this. I don't even know where to start. Mm. Sorry. So I guess emotional sometimes when I talk about it, I said, I don't even know where to start. And he said, okay, here's where we're going to start. You and your wife are going to go into this room right over here. I was in his home state for a couple of weeks, just seeing him. And he said, you're going to take this little Bluetooth speaker and you're going to put on some worship music and whatever level you put the music at, you and your wife are just for 30 minutes going to pray together and worship out loud. And I was like, that's too simple. And I don't like praying with my wife. I know that's terrible. My wife loves it. I don't. We went in this room, one for about half an hour to an hour every day for two weeks. And I started to realize that like, where is God in all this? He's right here with me. I just needed to start to actually acknowledge and lean on his presence because in his presence, there is peace. And in his presence, there is joy. In his presence, there is the ability to overcome. I had gotten good at helping people and talking about his presence but not actually spending time in it fighting for myself. Mm. And that was the beginning of really what this whole book is about is me deciding, wait, I don't have to just live with this for the rest of my life. Like the Bible does promise me freedom. I'm going to go get it. And as I was going through this journey, I became really aware of instances in the Bible where God promises people freedom and then says, I've equipped you to go get it. Mm. As I got more and more into this journey, I started to realize there's several times in the Bible where God says, I have something that I've promised you, 
And now I want you to go get it. For instance, he tells Joshua when he's about to cross the Jordan River and take the nation of Israel into the promised land, he says, I'm going to give you every place you put your foot. What Joshua didn't know is he was going to have to go fight 31 battles to Mm -hmm. take hold of the promise that God had already given him. Galatians 5.1 became this really important verse for me. It, It says, it's for freedom that you've been set free. So stand firm then and do not allow yourself to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've been given eternal freedom through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to live free. But in order to get that, in order to experience that, you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to stand firm. There's going to be some things you're going to have to do. And he says, I've given you my word. I've taught you how to fight. I'm equipping you for the battle. I'll go with you every step of the way. Let's go get it. And so that was the best thing that happened to me was my pastor not hugging me and telling me, you don't have to stand for this and let's go fight. Wow. As you're telling that story, there's a couple things that stand out to me. Number one, I love that you are a pastor and have a pastor. And that's nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I think it's so important that everyone needs to have some authority in their life. And I just want to point that out real quick. Um, But the second thing I hear you saying that I want just the people that are listening to think is like, we would look at you as a pastor and be like, what do you mean he didn't? like know this? What do you mean that had never clicked for him before? Like this feels like, of course he should know this. And so there's also so much hope for those that are listening to go, you know what? I can start today. Like I didn't know this and now I do. And I can start today. And the other thing that I hear you that I just think is so important is you have never once said, and and you say it in your book as well. This is not something that is just like you went to the intensive and you went to see your pastor and you did all this work and now you are like free of this. Now there's freedom, but I think sometimes people can get so down about why am I back here again? And so I want to ask you this is, and if you want to talk through that opening part of your book about that real, real moment that kind of shook you and took you on this journey. But what I want to ask you about, Sean, is what did it feel like and look like after you went through all this therapy, after you're like, I'm going to fight, this is against a real enemy. And then something happens again. Yes. Then what? Uh, It's so huge. So I go to this seven week thing. And of course, everyone in my life who loves me is trying to be a support. And I get a lot of messages like, can't wait until you're back. You're going to be healthy. I can't wait until you're healthy. And I started feeling all this pressure. Like Mm. if I don't get fixed in seven weeks, like, can I not go home? (laughs) Like, what do I do now? So that seven weeks was amazing for me, but I came back Our board said, man, why don't you take a few months off work? I started going weekly to a counselor here in Denver and I'd been off work for several months. And I said, I don't know if I'm healthy. (laughs) Everyone wants me to be healthy. He said, you got to change your vocabulary. He said, you're not going to be healthy. You're going to be healthier. Mm. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be better. We don't get perfect until heaven. So this was a game-changing conversation for me, and I think it's good for people no matter what they do for a living, whether they're a stay-at-home parent or a CEO or whatever. I told my counselor, I said, well, I either need to quit my job or go back to work, but I can't stay on this little break forever. And I remember saying to him, and I was like tearing up, as you can see, I do that from time to time. And I said, but I'm not fixed yet. Mm. And he goes, Sean, let me ask you a question. He goes, whose church is it? And I was like, well, it's God's church. He goes, whose church? I was like, it's God's church. <laughs> goes, let, let me ask you a question. He said, if you were God and you were deciding who was going to run this little branch of my big C church, this little branch over here called Red Rocks, who would you want running it? Would you want a guy who has everything figured out? Like he just feels like he knows everything, has no problems, doesn't really need you for much. 
Or would you want a guy that is so broken <laughs> that all he can do is lean on you? Mm. I said, I think I'd want the broken guy. And he goes, yeah. Sorry, I don't know why I'm so emotional. Lock it up. And he goes, Sean, and this was it. He goes, Sean, God only uses broken leaders because what other kinds are there? And so what I had to get very comfortable with is this is a journey, not a quick fix. We've recently had some things come up in our life that have caused a lot of what would have used to put me in complete tailspins. Mm. I haven't had any panic attacks, but I've had some moments feeling really anxious. And I would start to go back to some of the things I've learned. I would go back to spending time in the presence of God. I would go back to doing some of the things I talk about. I have this chapter at the end called the Panic Attack Survival Guide. Oh my gosh, it was a game changer for me. But it is a journey and I do still battle with depression and anxiety, but I can tell you, I don't battle with them at the same level. Mm. They don't have the same effect on me. What used to knock me out for a week bugs me for an hour, mm. but it's still a tough hour. Yeah. And so there are real ups and downs. So I think it's good to say, I'm not going to get healthy, I'm getting healthier. I love that so much. And it brings me to the question to ask you this. You mentioned feeling that extreme pressure from friends, lovely friends, not meaning a, yeah. a lick of harm towards you yeah. at all. But you said, I felt that pressure. Like, okay, I got to be healthy when I get back. This is what everyone's telling me. I, we can't wait to see the new Sean. Like, what's this going to be like? <laughs> yes. So those are great intentions. And we all have done that with all different kinds of things in our life. But what are the things that we as people who are being that army of friends around yeah. someone, whether that's our spouse, our child, our friend, our pastor, our leader, whatever it might be, our coworker, if we're invited into that space, which I yeah. think that is a sacred space to be invited into of someone saying, you are going to be in my team and you're going to help me fight this. What helped you the best? What were the best things that your friends did? I'll tell you two things. One is, and it seems so simple, but we forget to do it. Hey, before I try to help you, what's the best thing I could do to help you? How can I help you? I had to explain to a small group of guys that I do life with, there's going to be times when you call or text and I know you just want to encourage me. I don't have the strength to tell you how I feel right now. Mm. I just don't. I don't have the strength to send a meaningful text. And so let's just have this really open thing where it's like, you can't take it personal when I say mean things or ignore your phone calls, because it's not about you, it's about me. But if we can have that, if I can have the freedom to tell you I can't right now, then when I have those moments of now I could use some encouragement, mm -hmm. like just good communication. One of the things though, and this is, I feel like if you're trying to help somebody that you love, who's going through anything is the art of just being there without feeling the pressure to have the right words. When we first started Red Rocks, there was no people, no church, so no salaries. <laughs> so we all worked other jobs for a few years. One of my jobs is I was an overnight chaplain at a hospital in Denver. And so the only time I would get called in is if someone's vitals would flatline. And then I would go into the room and just be with the family of the deceased. Mm. My first day on the job training, we go into a room and it was a couple who just lost a baby. And I was a new dad with a baby. And I did no chaplaining. I just stood in the back and cried while I watched the chaplain. And then we went into another room and it was a horrendous situation. And I remember I said to the lady training me, I said, I don't think I can go in there. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Mm. She said, you never do. That's not what this is about. This is called a ministry of presence. 
I'll be with you. Mm. There will be times when I feel like I got an encouraging word. There will be times when I just going to sit silently. There will be times when I'll pray for you. There'll be times when I'll leave you alone. There'll be times when I won't leave you alone because I know you want to be alone and it's negative right now. I think intuitively you'll figure those things out. But more than anything, it's I'll be with you. And if they know, I'll share one more. If they know that you are safe enough for them to be 100% broken in front of and you're not going anywhere. Mm. We were at that counseling facility and my wife and I were sitting outside on this little park bench one day. And she's like, she's the most faith-filled, hope-filled woman. And she's like, babe, I know you're going to get better. I know it. And I was about three, four weeks in. I was like, I'm not too sure. (laughs) And I looked at her and I said, Jill, what if I don't? What if I don't get better? And she goes, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm telling you, that's the game changer. Mm. I can be me in front of you. I can be broken. You'll just be with me. You'll reassure me that you're not going anywhere. And then when I'm up for it, you'll push me back closer to the presence and the truths of God. Mm. Those are the kind of friends that you know will sustain you throughout this season, uh, throughout your lifetime, throughout whatever might come for you. You know, one of the things that you talk about in here is this whole idea of not pretending that you're okay. Yeah. And this is like, people would say, well, this is easy for you. He's on a stage. He wrote a book of, you know, about attacking anxiety. Like we all know that Sean's not okay. He's telling us. <laughs> I'm a mess. <laughs> but I think a lot of times in our life, we kind of alluded to this earlier. There's this feeling and this pressure to just act like we're okay. And I think one of the things that's hard for us right now in our society is this lack of intentional friendships where we see each other. We rely on social media a lot, you know, and there's been seasons in my life where my husband and I are walking through some of the most difficult seasons, whether that's in parenting or marriage. But if you just look at Instagram, it's like we've got the best life that's ever been lived. Yeah. And I know that and say that. And I always say that Instagram, it's your best foot forward. Yeah. Let's talk about like when we have these friends in our life, like about there could be this feeling of, I don't want to keep burdening them with this. Absolutely. I don't want this to be about me again. Like we're meeting for brunch, we're meeting for happy hour and I got to tell them it's me again. I'm the one that needs an hour of their conversation. Talk to that person who is feeling that pressure that we put on ourselves. I can only speak for men because I'm not a woman, but I feel like every guy I talk to deals with that. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys do as well because it's just human nature. Right. I remember having a conversation with my small group. Literally, those were my words. I don't, they're like, but how are you doing? And then they found out I had had a bad week and they found out I didn't tell them and they were mad. And you want those friends in your life. Right. I said, guys, I don't want to be the problem again. I don't want to be the burden again. I want to be the helper. I want to be the hero. I want to be the strong one. And I think it's, for me, it was just these guys looking at me going, well, guess what? You're not right now. Mm -hmm. And so quit being so prideful and let us help you because you're not Superman. Yeah. You know, we're all broken. We're just broken differently. Right. And so for me, it was just really helpful to have some friends in my life that would go, no, 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 we're not going to let you get away with that excuse anymore. Mm -hmm. This is our time to support you. Yeah. And if you do it right, there will be a different time when you'll support them. Yeah. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? Yeah. But we do, we get it twisted in our mind. I don't want to be a burden. You got your own problems. But there's also always, for me at least, an element of pride. Mm-hmm. I just don't want you to know I'm this screwed up. Yeah. And I think for me, the times I felt that way, I have felt like I'm exhausted about talking about this. <laughs> I'm exhausted about thinking about 
my problem. Like I am literally exhausted about talking about this. And again, I think that takes some humility to say, okay, I know you're exhausted, but you can't walk forward alone. Like you yeah. can't keep doing this alone. And it takes like what you just said, it takes that humility of going, okay, we're meeting for happy hour and it's me again. Like it's me guys. And again, we've talked a lot about those friends that are willing to step in with that. And those are the friends that are going to go awesome. We're here, you know, like we're here for this. That's what we want to do. That, that's why we're your friend is because we will do this for the next 20 years if we have to. Yep. And really, there's so many times in the Bible, you know, where we're told to bear each other's burdens and mourn with each other who mourn and two are better than one and don't be the pity the one who falls and has no one to help. But like we know them, we just don't want to be the one who needs it. Mm. And I am so grateful for the people in my life who I think there's a fine line of, okay, tonight you're too exhausted to talk. I get it. But tomorrow we're talking. That's good. Yeah. Right. Or I'll give you two days. Sometimes I even tell my friends, I'm going to feel sorry for myself tonight. Right. And ignore the world. Give me 12 hours. I'll come back to life and let's process tomorrow or let's go out and, you know, get a bite to eat. And then tonight I don't have it in me. Mm-hmm. But when you get those relationships, that trust, then it's okay to say that every now and then. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I want to ask you a little while we wrap up here, a little bit more of a personal question. You talked about this in the beginning of your book. And uh, we started this conversation by me mentioning about the woman who had died over the weekend by suicide. That's a conversation that we're having. It's a very important conversation. And you talk about there was a point in your life where you gave your friends a code to your safe and said, I need you to get the guns out of my house. I can only imagine that that must have been, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, a very low point for you to even have the wherewithal to say that out loud. Because Mm -hmm. you want to be the person that's like, that's not my story. So I have two questions about that. Number one, what is it that made you say it when other people don't feel like they have the ability to say that? And number two, how did your friends react that made you feel safe? When I said, take the guns? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that would be like, we talked about humility. We talked about having to be vulnerable. And to me, I think, although I, and again, I do not want to put words in your mouth because I've never been in the situation. But what I can imagine is that my personality would be like, that can't really be true. I'm stronger than this. I don't need to say this out loud. Yeah. When in yeah. reality, you saying it out loud is like huge, I would think. Well, and obviously then I didn't think there'd be another side to this story. I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I never saw being on the happy hour and talking about a book about anxiety. Like, I think it was, I just finally got so desperate. Mm you know, cause I did hide it for a long time. And then when it gets a little worse and your viewers will understand this cause almost every one of us either struggles with it or loves somebody who does, you start to share bits and pieces of it, right? Which is, yeah, I get a little anxious. Ah, I got a little jittery. I feel a little depressed. It's that last 10% that we like to really hide. Cause that's mm. like the depths of it. Right. Yeah. And the last 10% is sometimes I have suicidal thoughts. Mm. I can't ever say that to anybody. I think I was so desperate for change that day because the first, my first response was no. Mm. My friend was like, you're not thinking about doing anything stupid, are you? And I was like, no, bro, come on. Yeah. I'm strong. Mm-hmm. And I sat there for about 30 seconds and went, I don't sleep very well at night. And if my whole family's asleep tonight and I still feel like this, I don't think I could trust myself. So you better go get the guns. And my friends, they responded really, really well. They went and got them. They didn't even tell me who took them. (laughs) And they just said, we're here for you. And it meant the world to me. Yeah. But it was very humiliating to say that for sure. Uh, But to be honest, I'm really glad I did. Yeah. And I think that what my hope in this conversation is that 
it's no surprise that there are people who are feeling what you might've been feeling that night often. Mm-hmm. And the courage to say that is a ginormous step because like you just said, it felt humiliating, you know? Mm-hmm. And I also know that there are lots of people who are saying, I wish my person would have said that yeah. because the story might've been different. Yeah. You know, I had a moment when I was at that counseling facility where I hit what I would just call absolute rock bottom. And it got so bad that in my mind, I had convinced myself it would be better for me. It would be better for my family. Forget me. It would just be better for them if I was gone. Mm. And I actually called the owner of the practice, said, I can't go to the classes this morning. I said, you need to come over. I said, I've decided I'm going to take my own life and I need you to help me And my wife figure out how we're going to get our boys through this. Like, that's how bad it had gotten. Because when you're in the middle of it, you don't see a way out. And it feels like it'll never end. And all I could say is anyone watching, those thoughts are lies. No one in this world will be better off without you. And there will be a day when you'll look back and you'll go, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't do something stupid because I didn't see any light, but now I do. And so I saw this article and I have not chased it down to see, you know, if it's actually valid or not or whatever it is, but it was somebody talking about, they interviewed a whole bunch of suicide survivors. And in fact, they were talking to ones who had jumped off of the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. And every single one of them said, the second I jumped, I regretted it. That's how I felt. You know, there was a few times when I was like, everyone in this world will just be better without me, but they wouldn't have. Mm. They'd have been in pain for the rest of their lives. It was all lies, but you can't see it in the moment because it hurts so bad here and it hurts so bad here. And so I'm so glad I didn't. I don't know what gave me the courage to be honest with my friends, but I'm so glad I was. And I'm so grateful to get to just keep talking about this stuff Mm. to the world because it's so prevalent and so many people are keeping the same secret and we could do so much good and help each other out so much if we'll just be willing to open up about this stuff. Mm. You know, I interviewed a woman a couple of years ago who had lost her husband to suicide and it really changed a lot of the ways that I thought about mental health and suicide because my previously my thought had been how could anyone do this like like what what are they the most selfish people in the world like what is the deal and i can admit that like my conversation with her altered me forever with that she said my husband would have actually never wanted to do this but the battle that he was battling mm-hmm. took him out one night and i think the thing that i've loved the most about what we've talked about today that was a real just kind of aha moment for me when you said that we have that satan is taking something god given yeah and altered it yeah and i thought wow that is so interesting to me because that battle that we're fighting i believe it's a battle i believe all the things but that's exactly what satan would do is he would take something that god made for our own good yeah and use it to harm us yep and isn't that kind of like everything he does he right? takes us- beautiful creations and twists them and tries to get them to harm us. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was just reading Romans yesterday and he, when it says they exchange the truth about God for a lie, Mm -hmm. I was preparing for this interview yesterday and I read that and I thought, 
I feel like that is a lot of, and I didn't realize it would come up in this conversation, but taking the truth about God and exchanging it for something that's false. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing that Satan is doing to so many believers, faithful believers. I just want to say that like faithful followers of Jesus who are pursuing him. And this battle is really hard. Then I think he pours gasoline on that by whispering lies. He's called the author of lies, lies in our ears that say, you have to keep this to yourself. Mm. What will they think about you? You can't tell anybody. And yes, there's verses on freedom, but is that really what right. you could get? Because it doesn't look like that's for you. And that's how I've lived for years. I'll never have freedom. I got to keep it to myself. And it is. It's just a lie. Mm. Well, Sean, I am like so honored to have you on here and thankful for you putting the time into this book. I know, although you're having this conversation today and you'll be talking about this for a long time, because that's what happens when you write a book. I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you that even in the midst of having to talk about something so difficult, like it would not be surprising for Satan to use that against you, you know? And so I'm grateful for your vulnerability and your honesty, because this is going to help a lot of people. And so I'm grateful. Thank you. Sorry for all the tears on a show called happy hour. My God. You know what? Tears are good. Tears are good. Love to know what you're reading these days. Oh, gosh. Well, we just did a 21-day prayer and fast. So honestly, over the last 21 days, it's just been the Bible. I know that's such a, you're so spiritual. Oh, my God. Look at old Pastor Johnson. Pastor guy, huh? (laughs) He's spiritual. No, you know, the book I just finished that I loved that was just along the lines of stuff I'm into right now, obviously, is Winning the War in Your Mind by Pastor Craig Rochelle. I listened to the most entertaining book I've ever listened to called Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. And I'm about to start the encyclopedia-sized book. Uh, what is it? Uh, last Supper on the Moon by Levi. <laughs> it is an encyclopedia. I actually had a friend of her last night who had listened to the conversation on the happy hour with Levi. And he was like, oh my gosh. And I said, you got to get his book. And I showed him how big it was with my fingers. He's like, I think I'm going to pass. But I will say, listen guys, to that it's a really good book. He's so brilliant. And I've talked to him the other day and he's like, I have so much content that I'm just going to do a seven week series and not even use stuff from the book. I'm like, you wrote a thousand page book. The book something. is huge. Yeah. 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 Okay, so I have to tell you this, and the Happy Hour listeners have heard me say this a million times in the last couple of months, because Matthew McConaughey, Texas guy, I'm in Austin. That book oh, was so good to listen to. And if you like that book, here's my recommendation for you. Will Smith's new book. I just heard that. I actually just got it. I haven't. That's not true. I did start it. He was talking about building a brick wall. Yep. 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 Just started it and love it. It's so good. And it's like the book with Matthew McConaughey. They're doing so many great things with Audible books, but the listening experience is just over the top. And that's how it is with Will's book as well. He brings in, like if he's talking about going to church with his grandma, you'll hear like a gospel choir in the back. Or if he's talking about a scene from Fresh Prince, you'll hear the scene. So it's really, really good. I love it. I can't wait. Well, yeah, yeah, I I started it. And so I'll, I'll get back into it. Yeah, it's good. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. Jamie, thank you for having me. This was a blast. You guys, what a conversation. I am so grateful for Sean's humility and his vulnerability and just his willingness to put all this on paper and to have these conversations because I know as a person who is vulnerable on paper and an author, sometimes it's just hard to keep having the same conversation, but you do it because you know, A, God's given you a story and B, he's going to use it for his good and for his glory. And you want other people to know that. So I'm just grateful for Sean for doing that. I want to point you guys to another episode. If you never heard the episode that I had with Kayla, 
This is episode number 317. Kayla's husband died by suicide. And we had a great conversation. In fact, that's the show that really changed the way I viewed suicide. And so go back and listen to that if you want to. It's a happy hour episode number 317. You can find it real easy by going to jamieivy.com slash HH317. And also, if you're listening and you're someone who is walking through this journey, and if you are wanting to talk to someone, there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's a number that is throughout the whole United States. It's 24-7 service. It's toll-free hotline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com.